You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. <laughs> Empire. Hello and welcome to the live stream edition of the John Kahn Report. I am John Kahn. You know that. I'm joined by Nikki Javala from the Washington Post. You should know that too. She's been a frequent guest. Follow her at, at Nikki. Tell them where you can follow her. At Nikki Javala on Twitter. N-I-C-K-I-J-H-A-B-V-A-L-A. And of course, you can subscribe to the John Kahn Report wherever you get your podcast. And on YouTube, you know the drill. Like button, subscribe button. Thank you very much for tuning in. And this is a I guess a victory edition of the podcast where we're used to doing therapy Tuesdays. I do think some of this fan base still needs some therapy because you, I don't know that two wins in a row, Nikki have really changed the mood quite the way you might think after two wins. Yeah. But I want to start with things that have gone well because they have won two in a row. And let's start with, first of all, that bears win looks a little bit better now than it did before Monday night's game in New England. (laughs) I want to start with Taylor Heineke because he comes in, leads a win. He's now what? Six and three in his last nine starts. It's a lot. So legend, legend. I mean, I guess the only question right now, before we get into it, is who presents him in Canton. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I do want to get into some of that. And you wrote a story last week and we've all written about him and yours was, you know, the appeal of Taylor Heineke. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll get to that in a minute, but I do want to start on the field. So I want to go on my little thing first, why I felt like he did a nice job the other day. First of all, we saw all the bad plays. We saw some sloppy footwork or not sloppy footwork, sometimes where he's going throwing all on because he's not getting his feet around. The reads, as he said, were right, but he wasn't always getting his feet around on some of these throws. It led to some inaccuracy, could have been picked off a few times, and we saw all that. There were times where the protection broke down for him that he bailed them out, that he got out of situations when the pressure, when the protection broke down, that I'm not sure Carson gets out of at this point in his career. Mm-hmm. So I think those are some good things. But I also think like I'm only, I'm gonna look at two plays right now and then I'm gonna let you talk. I promise. <laughs> so the first one was the first touchdown to Antonio Gibson. Mm-hmm. And I love this play. It was a beautiful play. Beautiful play. And my thing is. One of the strengths of Heineke is the comfort level in this offense. And I think that really shows on that play because when you watch it, he drops back, you got a bunch formation to the left. You got a stack to the right and the bunch is where the eyes are going to go. So he looks off the line. Now, if you're just trying to sell the safety, you're going to look back and boom and go over here, right? It's boom, boom. Right. What I loved about that play is he makes it look like that's his actual read. Right. And the safety turns to that side, opens that side. He just calmly turns as if he's scanning the field and throws back to Gibson. That is the play. Right. That is the design play is to look here, get the safety out of there and get back over there. They got the look they wanted in practice. My understanding is 
that play wasn't always working. He was thrown high a couple times, so it wasn't always working. But And I love the route on that play. But I do think that Taylor sells it well in part because of his comfort level in the offense. And the last play, Nikki, is the, the one to Terry, right? The, the one, and I think where that, what I loved about that one, first of all, and I put something on Instagram, he's getting drilled. Before Terry breaks, he is getting hit. That is an absolute trust throw. There is no guarantee when he releases that ball that McLaurin is winning on the route. Right. He releases it. And his trust, and then you see Terry, the way he comes back to the ball. That's a stud play by McLaurin. But I think it's that level of trust. And again, knowing where the, the reps together and knowing where this guy is going to be at that time. And it was just, you know, I thought that was was an impressive job. I mean, it was impressive by McLaurin. He had some great plays on that last one. But I think with from Taylor's perspective, that's what I liked about it. So any, what stood out to you, Nikki? Yeah, I thought that was a big one. I think just the, the trust with his receivers. And you can see it in Terry. I mean, just the way you, you saw how happy Terry was after that yes. game. I mean, you know, he came up with a couple big big catches, but it's, it's also that trust he has with Heineke for – you know, Heineke knows he's going to go up and get it. And, and Terry trusts him to throw it in the right spot. Um, you know, I thought in the first half, his uh, Taylor's timing was a bit off. Um, he looked like a quarterback who hadn't gotten a f- ton of first team reps, <laughs> um, but it started to click in the second half. And that's where I, I think you really started to see it turn into a, you know, a signature Heineke game where, you know, he, he's improvising literally on the run. He, he's scrambling and he's, he's trying to evade pressure. He's trying to get guys open. Kind of his style is kind of that, um, that backyard football style. And, you know, honestly, sure, there's probably some happy medium between him and Carson Wentz and, you know, scrambling to avoid pressure without um, going all over the place. But, you know, I think that mobility is, is key for this offense, um, especially with an offensive line that can't, you know, or, through the first six games anyway, didn't protect all that well, is having a quarterback who is very aware of his pocket presence um, and, and knows how to escape and can escape. So right. uh, I think, you know, I, I think the one thing I'd like to point out is it's, it's always really good for the first couple of games when there's a change, right? right. Um, and, and people have seen Taylor Heineke, there's film on him now, but, you know, what is it going to look like in week three or four? Um will he still be able to do these things or will teams kind of catch up to him? And, and I think they know teams know who he is. And I think green Bay did a good job of containing him in the pocket too. Like they were, they did it like last year, his legs really hurt the Packers. They did a good job of containing him. And I thought that was, you know, because they know who he is, what you want to keep him in the pocket. And with that, with that interior line is having trouble with protection. You can push him back and now he can't step on the throw. That's why there's so many arm throws. And by the way, Trevor Allen posts on here, Heineke for president. Now, Trevor, that's a silly comment. You know why? He's not 35 yet, so he can't run for president. <laughs> Give him time. That's going to come right after he's inducted into Canton. Come on, Trevor, get with it. Um, but, you know, so I, but I, I do think like that's part of the strategy for him against him, but where it helps him is knowing where to go with the ball. And there was also a third and eight that he throws to Curtis Samuel on a crosser. That again is like he's got a guy bearing down on him because yeah. the protection broke down. Yeah, through I think it was Norwell, and then for some reason McKissick runs by the um, linebacker coming, and but Taylor just calmly gets it to Curtis. Now it's an open crosser, but it's the calmness that he showed. And I think there were a couple of times 
with that. And I was talking to Logan Paulson earlier today, and there was another play that he brought up <clears throat> along these lines. There was a gosh, there was a third down and ten or eleven, something like that. Mm-hmm. The the Packers drop eight. Mm-hmm. That can throw off a quarterback, but the way he responded, I think he anticipated that. And he just, again, it didn't throw him off. And yep. he completes a 12-yard pass to, to um, Curtis. There was another time where he threw behind Curtis. And the reason I'm bringing this one up is because in watching it, I think Curtis gives the route away too early with the way he turns his head about two yards before he cuts. And as soon as he turns his head, the corner drives in the ball. But the pass was behind him. So he's got – Taylor's got to work some things out with that. It, it's who he is. Right. But there is something, and you brought up too the you know the 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 attraction to him. And I was talking to someone today who's like, you know, players are just like, that's my guy. Yeah, yeah. How do you explain that? Yeah, no, I mean, actually, I was listening to John Allen on the radio this morning, um, and he says he, he's just got that it factor. You know, you can't really describe it, you can't quantify it. He's just got it, and I think you know, you and I have talked about this too. Is he just seems like a regular dude in the locker room? He doesn't put on any airs. He knows exactly what he is. He's never pretended that he's a first round elite quarterback. This is a guy that was almost out of the league, you know, a year and a half ago, literally sleeping on his sister's couch, studying for his final exams for, you know, an advanced advanced math degree. And he's getting a second chance and he's loving every minute of it. He's, he's cherishing every minute of it because he knows it could end instantly. And I think guys appreciate that. You know, Um, I think Terry is very similar in that regard as, you know, is lauded as a primarily a special teams guy in the third round and comes in and really earns his way as, as the number one receiver, as a starter, as kind of this unheralded guy. So I think a lot of guys can relate to that. And I I think even the elite players just appreciate that he's going to give it his all every single game. Um, He works his tail off and you see, you see his uniform after every single game. If that's not evidence enough of how much he throws himself into, into every game, I, you know, that's guys love it. It's not, pretty all the time um it doesn't always win uh, we saw that last season but you know he's he's a guy that's playing to his max ability but it's funny you brought up the uniform because i saw a picture of him today i think it was may have been with terry mclaurin coming off the field and the first thing i noticed was the the, the stains the, the stain the grass stains and all that so austin ag says i think if he- th heineke goes three and one or four and oh there's no way they can go back to whence even two and two might be enough what do you think and we're getting it we're jumping ahead here we're jumping yeah, ahead. no, I mean, I, it's, it's it's a big if, and yeah, it's four games, and I think if they're really rolling, if the offense is clicking, I think in some ways you, you got to stay with Heineke if you're in if your ultimate goal is to win. Um, but if you're not sure on that, I I, I feel like you you got to get the most out of your investment and see to the fullest extent whether right. Carson can be that guy or not. Um, he, in my mind, is a sunny deal. They could cut him out right. after this year. I have no dead money. So it's it's an experiment right now. Um, but they it, once they move on for a moment, it, it's done. Um, right. And you're right. I think it depends on how do they get to three and one. Right. But I do think, like, you know, the third downs the other day were big. And somebody else is bringing up someone down here. Um, who is it? John, I'll show this one. John Greaves says the biggest X factor is Scott Turner. Then uh, he wants to know the Lakers can create a viable game plan with less than 10 days of prep. Well, yeah, he can, because he's shown that before. Um, But I think a big key here is the third down conversions. There were some plays, there were some, like I, there were some plays where I really liked 
And there was like the one, there was a jet sweep to Curtis Samuel in this mm-hmm. game. I thought it was set up well. You know, mm-hmm. they, they use a lot of motion on the runs. But what I really liked about it, they sold it, but they also set it up well to the point where the linebacker, Sean Gary, comes upfield on the what he thinks is a fake because he sees Samuel going by, but it's a great handoff by Heineke. I mean, it was a, it looked like a fake. And right. he's the, the linebacker's up there and then Curtis just runs by him. And it's about five, six more yards before the linebacker realizes, oh no, he's by me. But I do, and I think the defense was like that too, because they had kept running, running, running the other side with that. And there were a couple other times where you're like, you look at it, that's a good play design. I thought the Gibson touchdown was a great design. Um, so yes, he's capable of that, but you got to convert their downs. And I do think that there's some inconsistencies with, with these plans. Yeah. And and that's the biggest thing is the consistency with this team. I mean, he had had a great designs for Carson Wentz in week one too. Right. Um, Exactly. So I guess that goes to his point about, can he do it? But, but yes, he has shown in the past, but yeah, I, I know where he's coming from and keep going. Yeah, no. And I think it's consistency on every level on offense because yeah, you can you can create the design plays. You gotta you gotta have the right playmakers doing the right thing at the at the right time. You know, you mentioned the Curtis Samuel route that he was a little off on. You know, that always usually ends up on the quarterback shoulders, right? When there's a mistake like that. But you know, you gotta have it all clicking. Um, you know, and last year it's not like Heineke's brand new, as we mentioned. And last year they had a four game losing streak before they had a four game win streak and a lot of the losses were from the repeated mistakes that we've seen. So if they snowball into that again, yes, you have a guy who, you know, you can never fully count out. Um, but I, I think it's also known that he has a ceiling. Um, right. You know, he they did have that 37 yarder to Terry, but you know, is he, is he fully, there's, there, there's a ceiling. He, he's, he knows there's a physical limitation there. And I think he's a really fantastic backup. And that is the second most important yeah. position on the field. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's. Uh, by the way, going back to the play calling, there was another the other one I want to talk about just briefly that mm-hmm. stood out to me when I was watching it. And you, we talked about play action and selling it and all that. They had a heavy run look and good Lord, I can't remember the play. Um, Oh, is the one where oh, it was the near fumble, not the one that was called back, but the one where they had to look at it and his arm was going forward. So mm-hmm. on this that play, if you remember that, that was the second half. Mm-hmm. It's the heavy run look, and they go against tendencies. It was a good fake. Every Packer defender, every one of them was within eight yards of the line of scrimmage because of the look of the of the play. And Cam Sims is wide the hell open, yeah. going down. He's like running across. And the, the corners is trailing him. He's got no chance. And that's where Heineke is going. And then it was um, Armani Rogers gave up pressure to the linebacker coming yeah. off the edge. Right. You hold that block, that's a possible little touchdown. But it was, I liked, because to me, it went against some of the tendencies, I think. And that's where, but when you start converting third downs, you can get to stuff like right. that. And it, the struggle is converting those third downs. Right. And you listen, I mean, to me, the problem has been roster construction in that front. But right. anyway, Justin Check wants to know why wasn't Heineke getting in the edge more? A bigger part of the was um, will be, can we expect first half Heineke or second half Heineke and Indy? That's, that's always the question. That's, that's always the question. It's consistency. It's what right. it comes down to. I mean, and it was the same for Carson. It's been the same for literally every quarterback that has come in over the last, you know. Right. Four or five years. It's, it's oh, it's longer than that, Nikki. Well, I'm thinking, I'm trying Trust to me. at least go back to Kirk Cousins and be like, uh, maybe yeah, those moments, you know. Yes. Anyway, 
and, it, and the it other, always comes back to that is, is yeah. can they sustain it? Yes, they can occasionally have some really good play designs. They can have some really good quarterback play. They can have some, you know, pretty magical moments with Terry out there. They can also have, you know, interceptions that are thrown in no man's land and um, fail to convert, you know, easy third downs, always be put in second and longs and never finish at the goal line. I mean, right. I mean, yeah, you're right. And that we don't know. So I don't, but as far as not getting on the edge again, Green Bay did a really good job of keeping him in the pocket. I mean, they did. And I think then it was also getting some pressure. He escaped a lot of situations, whether it's, there were a couple of subtle movements or something, you know, whatever calmness that he showed, I think is a direct result of his comfort level in the office. He plays confident, plays really, yeah. he, always, he always has, but I think even more so now, at least in that game he did. Yeah. I think that's the knowledge of the offense. And, you know, I'll go back to, and I was talking about this with someone else um, recently about in 2007. Now you weren't here, but that's the year Sean Taylor died and they went on the winning streak at the end of the season. And there was a lot of, you know, motivation from what happened with Sean. The other biggest, single biggest factor was Jason Campbell, who was not as well-versed in this offense, got hurt, and Todd Collins came in. He had been in Al Saunders' offense forever, and the offense just moved better, not because he's a better and more talented quarterback, but because his knowledge of the system was better. And so it allowed them to play more smoothly and more in rhythm and sync, and, and, you know, and, that, and it helps. I think there's a similar situation possibly here. Again, I don't want to overlook – some of the near disasters in the first half, but I do think there were a lot of little things that he did that are a result of that, that if you say, how can you build on that? You're building on that. You're not, we're not going to make him out to be like, Oh my gosh, maybe everybody was wrong and they should have just started him. He's still what he is, but what he is, you can work with. And, you know, I want to move on to some other stuff and I'm going to get to chase young in a minute. But Mr. Ron B wants to know: Is it just me, or is St. Juice more demonstrative? Benjamin St. Juice more demonstrative on the demonstrative on the field. His confidence seems to be growing with each game that he's locked down the corner position. Nikki, what do you think? Yes, I think he's he's emerging as a very fine cornerback, and this is kind of what they had hoped. It's still early; he still had his mistakes. He's not like you know Jalen Ramsey out there, but he is a smart corner, and he's an athletic freak. Um, I mean, he, he really is. Um, and I, I think he flashed it in that, in that game earlier in the season when William Jackson was out and they had him start outside. I think he really showed what he could do. And I think he plays better outside, but I, I think he does play confident now. Um, and with reason, I mean, he's come up with some big plays. I mean, even, even in the green Bay game, there was a, I think it was like a third and two or something, and it was on a short, uh, a short in route, and he was he was tight on his coverage, nothing close to a penalty. He just had it the whole time. I mean, I I really like the way he plays. I think him, Derek Forrest, certainly Cam Curl, who's like the he's like the staple of the defense in my mind. Um, yeah, me, I agree. I, I think that young secondary has serious potential. Well, and along those lines, and I'm glad he brought that up because I really enjoy St. Juice, and one of the reasons I really like him. And this is the benefit, Nikki, of us being back in the locker room mm-hmm. and talking to players, not on Zoom. And because right. that, you know, it's good, you know, but it sucks right. because you're not getting to really know who they are. And I say that because when you talk to him and you go over, and I had him on the podcast last year, but, you know, even after the um, 
Bears game, Sam and I, Sam 48, Nikki's partner on the beat, we were talking to him after the game about like that last sequence. And the detail that he went over with why he made each movement was really off the charts intelligent. And yeah. it's like, it's, he really thinks it out there. I, and also on that play, the quick movement, the quick change of direction, that it goes back to that three cor- the three cone drill at the combine. He was really yeah. good at it. So I think he's good. I think he's very communicative. And I think that's a good point. But I also, you know, the other guy we haven't talked about with that is Rashad Wild Yes. And now he's got to get better as a tackler. He missed way too many the other day. Yeah. Way too many. Tackles yeah. sometimes high, sometimes go. But from where I think he has helped is I think his knowledge helps mm-hmm. in, in the slot, but you see less communication errors. Now right. I saw open guys the other day and we're going to see him again. And so I'm right. not going to proclaim anything yet, but I do think like in those last second shift situations where the, the motion, where they're motioning the bunch to stack that yep. in the past, and this happened with William Jackson too much, but it would throw him off. Yep. I see that. I see more communication between Wild Goose and St. Juice or whatever, you know, just the, the direction, I got you, I got you, you know, whatever. That stuff, I think, is working well, too. So that that's a good question. Yeah, John and they did well together. And I, I think people forget that he was he was a late waiver claim, like right when they formed the initial 53. Like he yep. had no offseason prep in this defense. Right. Yeah. Good point. Good point. John Greaves is back because he's really on the Scott Turner train here. He thinks people are making excuses for him, saying the players aren't executing, but if your personnel can't execute the play, shouldn't the coach adjust the play calls to his personnel or get different personnel? Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, you can only you can only go get so many guys. This is not you – know, they're not – you know, you don't have like, hey, is there a – well, I'd say is there a convenience store, but they had one last year. Yeah. But <laughs> you're not going there and just picking up any guy and saying, okay, here's a new guy. You have to work within your frame. So it's more about adjusting the calls to what you have. I will agree with that. But if you put a guy in a situation where he's got to block someone one-on-one and that's his job, good Lord, do your freaking job and block the guy. And yeah. If you mess up too much, yes, get someone else in there to yeah. replace him. But you have to ask these guys sometimes to do something that you can't, right. you can't hide everybody. But right. To his point, yes, you have to adjust play calls, and I will agree with you there. And there are times where I felt like, you know, does, what do you want to be? I, I Sometimes do you, are you trying to be this? Are you trying to be that? I don't think they knew. So I'll agree with him there. What do you yeah. think? I, yeah, no, I think there's give and take with anything, right? I mean, he's is it his fault that a receiver runs the wrong route when it was explicitly explained to them and they should have known going in? No. Um but I look at I I take Antonio Gibson for one. Um, I think they the way they've started to use him this season really maximizes his skill set. They're adjusting to fit his skill set, and they took a lot of heat for it at first. And maybe some of it was due to his fumbles last season and another fumble in the preseason. Um, but I think getting him involved in space more really fits who he is and makes him even uh, more of a weapon on offense. Um, but at the same time, it's up to him to run those routes, to not fumble when he is behind the backfield. Like, you know, yeah. And and there are times like, speaking of fumbling too, and and I love what Antonio Gibson did the other day. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was really good. I think he's, I think that's who he is. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's a great example. I think of how that they want their run game to work, Mm -hmm. but with the way the burst he showed, and I just felt like he was running confident and contributing. But the one thing that I keep noticing, man, is you got to quit swinging that ball when you're cutting up. It is too low when you're doing it. Wow. And I still like, you you know, because when Arch Robinson might swing a little bit, but it's mostly higher and tighter. 
talks and like yeah. that's one thing but it, but they really look good so i want to go to um chase young yep he's back tomorrow right yep. we, we do we absolutely yep. expect him back tomorrow he'll yep. be out there practicing what do you think is going to happen there I think he's going to need at least a week um, to really get back into football shape, practice shape. Um, you got to think about with his size and his position, um, not to say that it was less difficult for Brian Robinson to come back immediately. I think, you know, obviously very different injuries too. Um, but I, I think they're going to have to really be careful in easing him back in and just to make sure that he has trust in that knee too, because if you're not fully confident, you run the risk of, of another injury. I think any player will tell you that. Um, so just getting him back in, I think the, the one question I have in it, there's not really an answer to it is, you know, they're, they're clicking pretty well on the front four, um, with James Smith Williams primarily playing in, in Chase's spot and F.A. Obata and Casey Tuho kind of rotating as a reserve spot. Um, you know, there's good communication. They're running games well. Um, it doesn't feel like last season when a lot of guys were freelancing and, you know, the pressure wasn't getting there and they certainly weren't getting home on sacks. Now they are. They're getting the pressure and they're getting sacks. Um, and the line is, is, is synced up with the coverage. So Chase is obviously a fantastic player, can boost the line, no doubt, but will it disrupt the – the rhythm, at least initially, and then how do they correct it? How do they um, try to keep it as seamless as possible? Right, and I do think, and Sean Garner asked a question here, does Chase Young play against the Vikings? That is who I think he plays oh. against first. Yep. So I, I think, and I, your your dogs clearly agree with that. So yeah, they've been wrestling the whole time, so if you've heard all those dog noises, I have not, that's the first time. WWE behind me. There, there you go. But the one thing I wonder about, Nikki, with, with Chase is, um, first of all, you know, I think I think there was a pressure on him last year to produce big numbers. Yep. And I think he came out and we talked about this earlier last year. I think he came out and was trying to be somebody he wasn't as a pass rusher. And I think he was rushing, trying too much to get certain sacks. Right. I mean, I, I think that yep. I almost wonder if being off this half year, you don't want the ACL. You you don't want any injury like that. But if that removes the pressure and allows him to just like, you know what? Just go back to who you were. Right. I right. wonder about that. I mean, I, I think, do you think that you talk to people close to them like that? I think that's what the feeling I get, but we'll yeah. see on the field. But I do wonder if like there was a pressure and that that pressure's off now because you're coming off the ACL. Nobody's expecting you to come out there and get 20 sacks. Yeah. You know? I mean, first year, you're defensive rookie of the year. The, the line is, it's all about their four first round picks on the starting line and, Chase is number two. Yeah, there's a ton of pressure. Um, so, it, and I, you got to remember how young he is too. Um, and this is a position where it, it takes time, it takes experience, it takes um, observation and lessons from other vets to really refine your pass rushes and and to add more rushes to them. Um, and I think he was just kind of learning that in his first and second year. Um, yeah, and then you tack on the pressure; it, it's a lot. But you know, injuries can be humbling and teach you a good bit about yourself and um i i i would like to see him go back to see and i'll tell you the, the, listen this is what the guys are talking about in the locker room they're talking about the, the dog the big dogs eat up front there's the big dogs right there they're, they're at nikki's house yeah they're tackling, they're tackling <laughs> my friend so but anyways i put this up here because john greaves 
as a non-Scott Turner question. So I did want to get that. But I, the reason I brought up is because I think it's a good point. Yep. Kerrigan and Scanina have turned the D-line around. Um, looking forward to how Chase performs the defense, et cetera. Whether or not they turn around, I do think Scanina has had an influence. And I think, yes. I, I think there is, I think he's. he's a, yeah, no, I think there's a definite trust there. He's got 16 yeah. years of playing experience. He's been with this team for all three years as the assistant D-line coach. He's, I mean, he's the one out there practicing with the guys, running drills with the guys. He looks like he could still play himself. Oh, <laughs> um, I think he looks like he wants to still I mean, play. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a trust there. They listen to him because they, they know it's, it's because he, he was them not too long ago. And, and certainly with Ryan Kerrigan, I mean, that's for a lot of these guys, that was their teammate two years ago. So, And I think like the, the thing with Ryan is what I didn't understand when they got rid of him or they let him go in, in hindsight, especially we know why, I mean, the knees were just shot, but I, I felt like they didn't have anybody to help the young defensive ends. They did not have a, a true defensive end coach, a pass rush coach, mm-hmm. You did not have that veteran on the roster who could help those guys. And like Chase Young needs, I think, that veteran present. Montez Sweat still needs that because he's not, he has not reached a certain level. He's athletically gifted. We've seen him make big plays, but he hasn't reached that sort of level. And I think you need that kind of guy. Kerrigan is not the kind of guy who's going to go up and rattle somebody's cage. You go to you can go to him and you're going to talk, he's going to talk to you and you can ask him anything. He's not a get in your face kind of guy but he does have the knowledge. I think the guys respect him. So that helps Scanina, And you know, this like watching him, I think what he does well too, is there's a lot of little things with the tackles that he pulls them off to the side during practice mm-hmm. while they were doing other things and works on stun, 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 stun. And it's made Del Rio more comfortable calling some of those, but there's right. a better rhythm with all that. Right. I th- I mean, I think there's a psychology to, to coaching. I mean, there has to be right. And, and just finding ways to motivate these guys and teach them um, they're grown men. Um, but yeah, I, I think Scanina knows, you know, what buttons to push to really get them fired up. He knows, you know, when to kind of peel it back and, and bring them aside and, and really show them. So they're not, you know, there's, there's no like hard feelings or anything. And I think Kerrigan is sort of like the Alex Smith of the defense for me. I, I, I've yet to yeah. meet a school that does not like Brian Kerrigan and doesn't respect him for um, his game and everything. Um, so I, I think he's able to relate to those guys on a level that perhaps no coach or at least one that's been there for, you know, a, a good number of years could really relate to him. I mean, this, this guy played with, with Jonathan Allen and Ron Payne only right. a couple of years ago. And he's, he's one of the best. All right, now let's get a couple questions in here. Sean Garner wants to know, does William Jackson get traded? What do you think? Um, I think it probably depends in part on his injury status. Um, if teams feel comfortable that he um, can contribute immediately because they're taking on um, a sizable salary and, you know, a couple years left after that. And then if they're asked to give up compensation, they got to re- feel really confident that he can play. Um, I think the other thing working against him is maybe, uh, you know, just, just being primarily a man corner. Um, you know, I think every team runs a good bit of zone these days. Um, so you, it, they got to make sure that he kind of fits their scheme. I, I, if he does get dealt, I could really see, uh, the Cardinals being, and it, Cardinals are, are the lions, um, just because of their scheme. Um, right. so and, and I think, yeah, and I think I think there's a definite maybe there because he has value to other teams, I do believe. 
but it's only you're only going to get you're going to get a low round pick for him. That's all they're expecting. That's all I think anybody could expect for him. I think that back the back would throw me off if I'm another team, to be honest. Um, so we'll see. Um, let's see. Let me get a couple of questions from that I had on Twitter. Mike wants to know. Well, let's see. Let's go back to the trades because other people have asked about this too. Someone else that brought up here. Get you know, let Wentz go and keep Payne. So, um, do you think Payne gets? There's a couple of things. Left hand up wants to know, do you think Payne gets traded? Reginald Skinner wants to know, why are so many people wanting to trade Payne? Can't we pay everyone? No. Chiefs move Chiefs move cap with Kelsey bonus. Can't commanders get creative? The Chiefs had to get rid of, um, you know, uh, Tariq Hill. So they, can't, they couldn't pay everybody. So, um, but what do you think about Payne? I mean, it would certainly have a good bit of trade value. I mean, he's a young guy. He's- having a career year so far, I, I would not be shocked if they, I haven't heard this directly, but I would not be shocked if, you know, they're, they're certainly listening to calls on him to try to get value in return. Um, but when we did ask Ron publicly, I would like to keep him for the long term. The question still is, you know, is that feasible? I mean, look at the numbers. Hey, you got, uh, after this year, you got to decide on Chase Young's third year or fifth year. And of course you're going to exercise that. Then Montez Sweat is up. So, you know, you already paid Jonathan Allen big money. Are you going to allocate even more money to another tackle? You can't put all your eggs into the defensive line. <laughs> right. So, and, and if they're going to be quarterback shopping yet again this offseason, then they right. really and, and I think, Right. I know with Payne, listen, there have been teams interested in him for a long time yeah. that have called them in the summertime. I know that the question was at that point is like, well, why would Washington trade him then for a third round pick? Because at that point, they're thinking they can contend for the division title. Mm-hmm. And whether or not people look back and think they're crazy, at the time, who did, like a lot of people were thinking that. So mm-hmm. you weren't going to do that because you're going to get the third round pick as a comp pick the next year. Yeah. The question would be if they had lost on Sunday and they lose to the Colts, now you're two and six, then I could see more of a situation with it. But even now, even if you lose to the Colts, the, the, you know, there's that third wild card. Everybody's in this race. Right, right. No, it's a it's a very good point. So, so, so you know, I don't know, Nikki. I know you got to run, so I appreciate it. I'm going to stick around here for everybody else to answer some more questions. Again, check Nikki out at at Nikki Javala. You see the spelling J H A B V A L A, and check her out on WashingtonPost.com. Give her a read. Give her a follow. Nikki, thanks a lot. Always love having you on. So I appreciate it. I'm going to continue with everybody here, and cool. just stick around. All right. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. All right, so I'm going to get to a couple more questions here for everybody else. And as far as what Reginald said about why can't, why are so many wanting to trade Payne? I don't know that everybody wants to trade Payne. I think their fear is he's going to leave, and what can you get more for him now? But I don't trade him unless you get bowled, bowled over by an offer, because again, you're still in this thing right now. And even if you lose the Colts, you are technically still in it. And do you really want to give up that? I would try to continue to. I would try to keep him. Now, as far as, again, you can't pay everyone. It's not always just about the cap space. The number one, the phrase that you're going to hear from executives is cash flow. Do you have the cash flow to make it work? And, you know, that's always the bigger key because when you're paying those, when you're signing guys, you're paying big bonuses, that comes down to money in the pocket. So that's where the key is. And, you know, they, they haven't been doing a ton of those. But that's so that's why you can't keep everybody. You are going to have to make some choices and you don't want to allocate all your resources into one spot. But they did not. They have not given up on trying to resign him. 
The question is, can they? Because if he wants a certain amount of money, then it may be difficult. Um, so we'll see. But I don't think that they necessarily want to, but you're going to certainly listen to offers. I know teams are going to, are calling them because they're going to wonder the same things everybody else is. So, all right. Um, I had another question about, oh, speaking of the defensive line, I want to go to this one too. This is from Pry, P-R-Y. I don't think enough credit is given for picking up uh, John Ridgway, a free fifth round pick, been a good depth piece. Cowboys just had to trade away a sixth round pick for depth DT. Thoughts on the future on the interior with Phil and Ridgway. I think that's a good point. I think they both offer you something. And I like Ridgway. Like I, and I know they like him and where they think he can go. He's a guy who's going to eat up space. That's what he is. And you, he's not, you know, and once he gets used to more of what they're asking him to do and playing the techniques they want, then I think he can be even more effective, you know, in next year. But I think for right now, he's a guy that can certainly occupy two blockers and that's all he needs to do. I think he's getting used to the technique they have with him there. So yes, I agree with you that I like those two with Mathis. We didn't see enough, you know, I liked the potential of him from what I saw in college and some of the things you saw during the, when he was playing and whether in preseason or the couple plays in the, in the regular season, so I do think there's a good depth there that you can build. Again, some of it will depend on Deron Payne and if they can sign him. So, all right. So Nick Swinney wants to know, is Brian Robinson really ready to play? He seemed hesitant and indecisive for most of his carries on Sunday. Not the downhill bruiser we've been hearing about. All right. Well, a couple of things, Nick. He is ready to play. His knee is okay. He's gotten medical medically cleared. And if you're seeing hesitation, it's as much from – this is his first year in the NFL – running in this system he missed you you miss that much time it's a lot so the hesitation to me doesn't come from the knee it comes from knowing all the you know the fits on the run play right all that stuff you know and what is your path what is your what is your point of vision what are you cutting off of here what are you doing if this if the, if the guy shows here so he's also a little bit more like a Le'Veon bell not in terms of explosiveness but in terms of patient run style so that is who he is. Like I, and I think that actually helps him because I think he sets up what he does with that patient style is you'll see him, he, he does a good job of pressing and cutting. And when you press the hole better, which I think he does, then you're drawing the linebacker in and you're creating a better blocking angle for the most part for your lineman to pull and get the middle linebacker or whatever. And then you, now you have your cutback lane. So I think some of that indecisiveness, though, certainly stems from the fact that the guy's a rookie and he hasn't played a lot. I mean, we saw only a few runs in the preseason. And to be honest, the longest run was 11 yards. I think there was a little bit of a – I think the expectations for him got above where I thought they really should be. I think what we saw Sunday is, is, is about what I felt he would be this year. You know, grind it out, get some tough yards, not losing yards. Run, he does run hard. He's not Derrick Henry. He doesn't have that kind of a frame. But he is a good, powerful runner because when you watch him, there are a couple of times he had a third down and one. I think he gets like three or four yards, but it's like he gets bottled up inside and he bounces a little bit, but he's always leaning his shoulders forward. So he's going to get extra yards because of that. Nick also wants to know, is Kendall Fuller part of the solution in the defensive backfield? He rarely contests catches or has any impact on the passing game. BSJ, St. Juice, and even Wild Goose have been more disruptive. Well, I think one of the strengths for, for Fuller, I, I first of all, he's a – He's good on the edge and run support. And I do think in this defense, you better be good in run support. And I've seen them play some teams where the corners are not good in run support, and it makes a difference. I didn't think the Packers' corners were very good in run support. So I think Fuller helps you there. 
I think where some of his disruption in the past game, he's not a playmaker. Um, and and I w- I'm going to tell you, I think they need to get a, a corner next year, whether it's in the draft, free agency, whatever. I think you need to add a corner because like I, I've always liked Fuller, but I do see the limitations. And I do, you know, there are games he hasn't played well this year. We've seen it. So, but I, but when you ask where is his strength in there, playing that zone, understanding where to be, et cetera. And sometimes you take away plays because of that, but he, you're right. He's not going to be as disruptive. And sometimes when guys are being tested more, you're going to see more disruption, but yes, I, I agree with you. Like as far as the future goes, I think you've got to upgrade uh, at corner for the off season. All right. Um, and let's see, I think there was, okay. Mike wants to know, if their goal is to put their best offensive line on the field, who would that be right now? Well, right now, I think you're seeing it. But I say that because Sam Cosme still has the club on his left hand. I think if he didn't have that club on his left hand, it wouldn't shock me if they shift him inside to guard. I think my personal opinion is that's where he ultimately will be, whether it's this year or next year or somewhere down the road. I think he can be a really good guard. And I think Sadiq Charles, I think there are times in the run game, I think he does pretty well. I think in the pass game and pass protection, I think that interior continues to struggle. And so I think if you could get some better play from Cosme in there, um, then you can keep Cornelius Lucas outside. Lucas did not have a good game in pass pro last, last the other game. Now he was going against Rashawn Gary a lot. Rashawn Gary is really good. So I think I'm going to take that into account. I think he's a really good pass rusher. Um, when he wasn't facing him, he did a much better job. So, you know, I think that's your best spot. I also know – that the way this team looks at it, that the top three offensive linemen on, that you have to have is left tackle, center, right guard. And I think because the way they – with the run game and all that, and I think because – not just that, because you're if, a lot of times that's where the three-tech is going to be best defensive tackle pass rusher. A lot of times is going to be on that side, so that's why you got to bolster that spot. So it wouldn't shock me, but the reason I say with the club of the left hand, because if he's got to help the center sometimes, the, the fear is, is he going to have comfort to do that without – with his left hand the way it is. If it's still bothering him, you're going to keep him outside. Yes, you still got to reach over sometimes to do that, but it's going to be more at guard that you have to do that kind of stuff. So I think that's that's why I'd say like, but ultimately I, if, I think if he's healthy, I put him at guard. I'm keeping Cornelius Lucas at tackle. I know that makes him thin at, at tackle depth, but if something happens, you can always kick out Cosme outside. I wondered if it would be a hard move for him to make during the season. And I've been talking to people there. They say it wouldn't be. So there you go. So um, that's one other thing. And let's see if I have any more questions here um, before before I get going. Um, and Justin Check says, my thought is if you let Wentz go trade or cut William Jackson third, you've got space to pay Holcomb and maybe curl, sweat, or pain. And he brings up a good point. I want to bring this up because Holcomb's also a free agent. you got to pay Antonio Gibson if you want to keep him. Um, sweat, you know, so, and Cam Curl, you know, there's going to be a decision on him, right? So you got to do that. Wentz's contract is big. If he's, listen, if he comes back and plays a lot better, then there you go. I will say I have on Thursday's podcast, I have our ESPN Colts reporter, Stephen Holder on with me, and he gives you some good insight as to what the Colts felt with Wentz and why they moved on. And it wasn't just because of the, the owner was a big part of it. But there are other things, too, that, that he gives you some good insight. Will they come to the decision here? I don't know. But if he comes back and plays better, because I know they still feel he's got a, see, a higher ceiling in this offense and that he just and he needs more time in it. Because, like, keep in mind, in, in Indy, he was playing in the same offense. He's playing in a similar offense for him, right? He knows Frank Reich's offense. This is his first year in this offense. 
that you've you've got it. You know, you in fairness to him, any player, any quarterback is going to need time to adjust a new system. Brady Tampa Bay, and then they finally adjusted more to him and went to what he did. You know, he and, and Byron Leftwich kind of scrapped the Bruce Arians system for him and went a different way. So that you know, but that's um, there you go. I have enjoyed this, and I appreciate you guys checking in and filling in here and sending some stuff on here. Um, your comments, your questions, always appreciate it because I know this still is tough. It's two in a row. You should feel better, but I also understand there's still some angst about that couple games earlier and has this team really turned it around. I think we'll learn a lot more on Sunday because you are playing on the road, and you know it's going to be interesting with Sam Ellinger starting, and I talked to Stephen Holder about him too. Good insight. But it's also, I think it's a pretty good Colts defense. And I'm not looking at their rankings right now. I think they actually have a, a, a potential to be a pretty good defense. I think it's going to make it a, a, a bit of a, a different game because I think their numbers aren't as great against the run as I thought they would be. But I think they're a better run defense than what the Packers are. So Washington's going to have a bigger challenge facing that front or that defense at front seven than I think in the run game, because if you can't get that run game going, it's going to be a bigger, bigger challenge. So, and so we'll see, but anyway, folks, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you jumping on here and I appreciate Nikki Jamvala joining me for most of that time and answering your questions. I hope you enjoyed it. And I will be back on Thursday with ESPN culture reporter, Stephen Holder, and I'll have some reports from, from commander's facility Chase Young being back at practice. What does that mean? I'm talking to more people in the locker room, giving you some insight there. So tune in on Thursday, and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining me.